Hello, and welcome. My name is Matt Peterson, and this is Episode 8 of History on the Table. Welcome back. I hope everyone had a nice 4th of July and you're enjoying your 4th of July holiday weekend, or did enjoy, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, real quick before we get started into everything, I do want to go ahead and apologize. Last week when I, or not last week, last episode when I went back and listened to episode seven, I noticed that I was in desperate need of a shock mount for my mic. So new mic and a new arm to hold it. That means every time I adjust or I bump the table that it's mounted to, you get a little bit of feedback. So I do not have that shock mount yet. I'm just waiting for the particular one I want to come back and stock on Amazon. Uh, so until then, just please bear with me. I'll do my best to not bump the table and uh, fidget around with my hands so much, uh, which I tend to do. So it'll be a little bit of a challenge. Okay, it's uh, recording a little earlier than than I have in the past, just because I'm a little bit full with content. Um, just the amount of games I've been playing. It's been uh, it's been a good month. And I'm, I'm probably going to leave some things off here. But we have the the Kansas City game day is earlier in July this month than it has been in April, May, and June. And I'm going to finally be playing Line of Battle, which if you've listened, you know that's a game I'm excited about. So I'm going to want to spend a lot of time talking about that game, I'm sure, next episode. Since my last episode, we've had a Kansas City ASL game day. We had our Kansas City Historical Gaming Group game day. And just all kinds of other stuff. So I figured I'd get an episode out in advance of Line of Battle is why I'm recording so early. Uh, anyways, since I went ahead and already mentioned it, I'll talk a little bit about... Uh, so our next, the next monthly game day for the Kansas City Historical Gaming Group is going to be July 13th. That's a Saturday. Uh, we start at 10 a.m. and we meet at Tabletop Game and Hobby in Overland Park. And it's open game room if you want to come by and play. I will be playing To Take Washington, which is the newest entry from Line of Battle. The game's designed for two, but I understand that that can be expanded to play more than two. So feel free if you want to come check that out or play whatever and you're in the area, uh, come on by. We'd love to have you. I think it's gone really well so far. Last week we had a couple new faces, and so that's all going good. And then... Just because I think it's a great group of guys, I'm not really affiliated with the group at all. I don't help put anything on. I just go to the game days. I'll mention that the next Kansas City ASL game day is July 20th. So if you're in the Kansas City area and want to play some ASL, I highly recommend that. Both the tournament and the last game day I went to, it's just uh, it's a really cool group of guys. They're really helpful and opening and warm and receiving, which is kind of not really the words I would typically describe that's not the reputation asl players get i think uh, but these guys i think are open to anyone coming to play asl so that's pretty cool uh as far as other updates and, and kind of news or noteworthy things go uh i think the only thing i'll, I'll just mention and draw attention to is mark Simonich has released a picture of kind of inside the box for his stalingrad 42 is that right uh, anyways, the next game in his 1940X series, or whatever you want to call it, somewhere 4X series. Anyways, it's so that's his Stalingrad game. Everything looks great. If you're at all interested in that game, 
if you listen to past episodes, you know I really like that series. I like Mark Semenich games. The game looks great. I really dig the map. It looks really big. I I thought that maybe it'd be zoomed in a little bit more, but I think Stalingrad only takes up like four hexes. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that game. Should be should be a lot of fun. Okay, so over the last few weeks, uh, I mentioned I kind of teased poorly some some new additions to the shelf. Um, as you know, I've kind of had this internal struggle with, you know, squad level World War II games. And I think some are on the way out the door and a couple more are new. Uh, so <clears throat> when I first got into ASL, I looked a little bit at ATS which is advanced to Brook system. And ATS is made by Critical Hit. It the the problem is I didn't get into it because navigating Critical Hit's website and it's even I think harder to kind of get into than ASL. At least with ASL you know you can start with the starter kits and you really don't have to worry about all right, I need this module to go with that module to be able to play this scenario. That, that if you get a starter kit you just go. And ATS is a little confusing because at one point you needed the rule book and counters and then with some of the new stuff you don't need a separate order of counters. And um, anyways, so all that being said, I I held off on playing and buying ATS also in large part because it just doesn't have the following that ASL does. Uh, it's much easier, especially here in Kansas City, to pick up a game of ASL with the ASL group um, than it is to be a than it is to pick up an ATS game. I've seen ATS played once. That was at Donkey Con. So I bought the rule book and I bought what I've told myself is I will try to stay out of World War II with ATS. What I what I mainly got this for is um, the old Dien Bien Phu module for ATS. I got it for that. And there's like a Hawaii, so Vietnam, that type of thing. I would like to keep ATS for that stuff. And so ATS and ASL are very similar. Uh, I think one of the biggest differences where in ASL you move, you take turns the phasing player and you move all of your forces, it's kind of variable in what I understand with ATS is you don't move all of your forces at once. But I think there are a lot of similarities. There's also not a ton of rules. I think there's a healthy amount of kind of core, core rules that you need to get going. But the deal with ASL is, you know, there's a rule for everything. If it could happen, they've probably come up with a rule for it, where I think ATS has just kind of let some of that stuff fall by the wayside because 99% of the time you're not going to use it. And so I think maybe it's a little more refined in its rules. Uh, I haven't read the rules. I don't I don't know how easy they are to grasp. I'm hoping to hop into a, um, a learning game here eventually. But there's some stuff higher up on the on the list. And so, so the other tactical game that is on its way onto the shelves is a series of game that also branches off from the Tobruk system. So ATS is a re-implementation of Tobruk, um, is BRL 1192. BRL 1192 is a tactical level game based off of, I don't know, was it? Order 1192 or Document 1192, essentially what it was, and this was, if you remember last week I talked about the guys coming down from New Jersey 
um, that are trying to use games uh, with engineers like illustrate how the things they develop are are used in a in a combat situation. Anyway, so the guys from New Jersey and Mitch Land were at lunch, kind of talking about the system. And so what I what I gathered from them is Ballistics Research Lab had order or document or whatever 1192, which was essentially after World War II, they gathered up everything, you know, tanks, weapons, whatever, and they shot it at everything. So. Uh, and then they just analyze, you know, how much, you know, what happens when you fire this at this tank. And so it was a document that basically documented the impact of every type of equipment against different vehicles and, and all of that stuff. And this game is based off that document, right? This, in large part, I was drawn to this. One, because I think the history is interesting, you know, where they're where they're what they're basing their game off of you know actual real science you know this is how this field gun handles firing upon this tank i think that's kind of neat but this focuses a lot on africa and recently i i was on board game geek and i was trying to track down some operation torch scenarios or games that incorporate operation torch in some kind of meaningful way there is a brl 1192 torch module and so i got that for uh for that i think the rules i don't have i'm cheating a little bit i don't have these rules yet but they should be here soon uh so it's another critical hit thing so i i can't comment on you know how good the game is how well the rules are written i do hope i get the digital i should get the digital rules soon now with with brl 1192 kind of different than ats or buying like the asl rule books when you buy brl 1192 you kind of get everything you get the rule book and you get you can play the game right away and i'll share the same advice that was shared with me if you're if you're interested in getting into brl 1192 wait join the mailing list and wait for the weekend coupon from critical hit because it makes it a lot more uh, manageable to get into that because the the base module is really expensive where the cost of entry for ats really isn't that bad especially if you wanted to go like the all digital route you just get the digital rules and then pick up an old, I think my DMV and food module was like 20 bucks. I have an old printing of it, but I've heard some complaints with the new stuff. Anyways, I'm kind of rambling a little bit here, but those are two new tactical level games I'm really excited to look into. And then what I'll talk about later is I finally sat down and played uh, full ASL. And I think that's kind of going to be it. I think the only exception to that is I might try to get a cheap copy of Last Hundred Yards just because I'm hearing that that game's pretty interesting. But, you know, like Combat Commander and Band of Brothers and uh, Fighting Formations, I think they all do really interesting things. And especially Fighting Formations has some really cool rules. And I still love how the artillery handled is handled in that game. I just don't think those games are as fun uh, as ASL. So... ASL is certainly what I'm more inclined to play. I'll see how those games compare up against ATS and BRL 1192. So maybe I'll hold off on unloading all those other ones. Anyways, um, I'm, I'm kind of expecting that BRL 1192 and ATS will be more in line with ASL than, well, certainly they wouldn't. I wouldn't expect them to be comparable to something like Combat Commander. Um, the one that I think may be the most similar is Band of Brothers. 
but that's already so similar to ASL. I think I would rather just play ASL, and I've, I've kind of talked about that, and I keep saying, thinking about doing like a tactical episode. Maybe once I finally play ATS and BRL 1192, I can kind of run through all my favorite tactical uh, World War II games. Okay, a few other things, and I probably won't spend as much time on these. So Federation and Empire, and I've talked about this, and here I am uh, again apologizing because I said I would never buy that game because it's something I'd never get played. Uh, if you go listen to the most recent Advance After Combat, they do a great job of finally selling. Dave over there has been playing Fed and Empire for quite a while, and he's brought it up several times. Last week, or last episode, they really he really sold me on it finally. Um, I think what the nail in the coffin was is there was instruction on how to buy the game. Like, if you want to play the game, just go get the, the base game, you know, because there's, there's lots of little expansions for it. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is all I really needed was someone to say, all right, this is how you get into Federation Empire, and then that was, that was enough for me. Uh, and so if you're not familiar, Federation Empire is a Star Trek-based... Oh, so, so a game we're going to talk about here in a little bit, Space Empires 4X from GMT, if you're familiar with that. It's like that on steroids, where you have a, a an economy of buying ships. Uh, I assume you can upgrade those ships, and you manage fleets, and you engage in fleet combat with all these different uh, Star Trek... I hope I, I hope I said Star Trek earlier. Uh, all these Star Trek races and factions. Uh, so that'll be really cool. I think if if I can get it set up solo and start playing, I think that'd be a cool game to leave set up. I think it'll take a long time to play through. But I think that'd be a cool one to set up and play through on my own. Like I said, I think it doesn't work for... They played it at Donkey Kong, and I don't think it works as a con game because there was... If you're playing like five people, well, if you have two guys duking it out in a fleet, you know, fleet combat, well, they have to resolve combat while the three other people just kind of sit there and... So I don't, I don't think it it didn't appear to work that well um, from what I saw. But I think it could work pretty cool as like a vassal game, a regular scheduled game, or we'll see how it plays solo. Okay, and then so a couple other things just real quick. I I have yet to get to Labatai, but uh, so I finally caved and bought a game from the bar system. So Battles from the Age of Reason from Clash of Arms. This is a battalion-level um, 18th century warfare game, uh, Battles of Malwitz and Chaduzitz, probably butchered that. So it's 1741 and 1742. I, I know nothing, nothing about the battles. I don't even know what war they're from. I know that's, that's terrible, but this one looked like to have a pretty high production quality. I figured it's two games in one. It's a pretty low entry price. So that's the one I chose. There are some... You know, being 4th of July and all, there is a American Revolution module or game. I'm in no rush to get it. I'll, I'll stick to one until I actually play it. So, some point in the not-so-near future, um, maybe we can talk about bar. Okay, and the final thing is one one particular aspect of World War II that I, I really enjoy in that, that area is Finland. I think the whole the whole history there and the engagements are interesting to me. I mean, you have ski troops. This is really cool to me. Uh, it's I think it's interesting to game and and read about. And a guy made uh, he has a game company called Miku Games, and I believe I want to say he's out of Finland, which is why all this stuff is focused on Finland in World War II. He released a trilogy of monster Finland games, and I I think if you just like Google. 
the finished trilogy from Miku Games, M-I-K-U Games, all one word. Uh, they'll come. They'll come up. Though the problem is, is I, I think the first edition of the rules had some issues, and he moved on to a new game, and since finishing that game, it, it kind of seems like he's done doing anything war game related, at least for the time being. And so those monster Finland games are, I don't know, the the one I looked at was a couple hundred bucks, which was the kind of first, as Finland, Russia, the kind of the first meeting, I guess, first engagement. Uh, anyways, so a couple hundred bucks for that, and I'm sure it's worth it, but it sounds to me that the rules had some issues, and it also sounds like those rules aren't going to be revisited. Uh, but I really wanted to play those games and I wanted to play something you know, based in Finland. And so after that trilogy came out, he came out with a game called Torneo 44. And this is a lot, appears to be a lot more manageable. It's not a monster game. And so this is Finland versus Germany, early 45, I think. Um, anyways, the game looks really nice. And it's this was a heck of a lot cheaper. I don't, I think it's technically out of print, but you may be able to find it. I don't know if you can order from him. I got mine off eBay um, for the normal price. It wasn't like the price wasn't hadn't gone above the MSRP. Anyways, that's that's something I'd like to get to. I don't know when I will, but I thought it was worth worth noting. Game company you don't hear about very often. I I really would like to to see that trilogy. Any of the entries in there, um, I think that'd be an awesome game, like a retirement game. That's retirement's like thirty years off. So, anyways. I think that'd be that'd be a cool game to have and to really experience. That is, those are kind of the key things that I've added. I'm I'm really excited about the critical hit stuff, the ATS BRL 1192. I think that'll be a lot of fun to explore. Okay, uh, just a couple books on the shelf that I wanted to mention. I wrapped up Anthony Beaver's World War II, and it was it was perfect. I'm sorry, it wasn't perfect. It was it was fantastic, and I really liked just getting the full story. It's one of the things I like a lot about Shelby Foote's Civil War trilogy. It's something that goes from beginning to end, but it's still, you know, meaty and goes into detail when kind of on the the highlights, but it still tells the whole story. So the book the book was pretty long. I did the audiobook. I think it was 40 hours. Anyways, and it was 40 hours of really a well-written book. Um, the audio narration was was great. I really enjoyed him. Um, I should have written down the guy's name. Anyways, but I, I like those books because now I feel like, you know, we all learn about World War II. Um, and I think I mentioned before in, in college I did like a Hitler and World War II class. But this was nice to be able to go from the whole global picture from beginning to end and now I can kind of zoom in on uh, the parts I'm I'm really interested in so like I said I <clears throat> so one of the things I mentioned is I've been digging around on board game geek for an operation torch scenario and operation torch which was basically the US landing in in Africa that was I don't think I'd ever really been exposed to that uh, especially you know from a war game standpoint most of the war games kick up kind of after when things kind of heat up because once torch is over there's really not a whole lot going on until i guess tunisia right well i should know anyways 
so it exposed me to things, a lot of the things you hear about and you knew, um, but it went into an appropriate amount of detail when, when I wanted it to. Um, and so now I can use that as a springboard to go to like, okay, I want to do, um, Beaver has a book on Crete, which knew about Crete, got a little bit more detail on Crete in this book. But now I, th I think I have a good, a good understanding one to play a Crete board game, which I don't remember if I mentioned I operation Mercury. Um, I think I did. I think I talked about that last time. So I'm not going to anyways. Um, so now I feel comfortable launching into an operation Mercury board game I kind of have an understanding of what happened and then I think it also serves as a springboard into a book in more detail um, so I highly recommend it it's uh if you want a book to go from beginning to end of World War II with a good amount of detail well written I highly recommend uh, Beaver's World War II okay the other thing I'll mention um, just from historical books I've read since the last episode Legend so this is a biography about Roy Benavidez mission uh vietnam so well actually it was cambodia so he basically went and rescued a special forces team in cambodia that got caught on a um their their mission was to capture if they could a russian truck and they were going to use that as evidence that as solid evidence that the north vietnamese were using the ho chi minh trail were in cambodia all that stuff anyways um so this wasn't an autobiography. This was written by Eric Blim. And overall, I thought it was, it was pretty good. Um, the story was fascinating. I, th I thought the writing was okay. Um, you know, another memoir. The other couple of memoirs and biographies I talked about in the past, Red Platoon and With the Old Read, are like, for what it's worth, those were fives on Goodreads, right? And I gave this a four. I thought it was really good. Not quite as good, but it was, it was a really interesting story, and the dude just sounded like a beast, and everything he did to get those guys out of there. I mean, it was worth checking out. Uh, and if you're into audible and audiobooks, I thought the, the audiobook was, was fine. I was glad I used a credit on it. Actually it was one of the books I got during the, uh, two for one audible sale, which was a great little promotion. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and talk about some games. So, been playing quite a bit which is great um i feel like i've been swamped but also i've been able to get in a lot of a lot of games so i played a little bit more of spqr um i still don't know how i feel about that game i it's it's both interesting and boring at the same time and so i'm gonna keep playing it and you know see if it if it ever really just clicks like whoa this is great i will mention that gmt announced Great Battles of Alexander and expanded Deluxe Edition. So the Deluxe Edition at SPQR is great. It is just packed full of stuff. I imagine and I hope that this Great Battles of Alexander Deluxe Edition will also be packed full of stuff. I don't know if it's anything I'm going to jump on right now. Like I said, I want to play SPQR some more. Um, I both like it and also and and I understand why it's this way because the met on open battlefields, but the terrain is just kind of you're on a white map, and there's not really the only maneuvering is, and it's important is you got to keep your lines together, and so it's more a game about maintaining your lines, your battle lines, and maneuvering your forces than it is about anything else, and it's. I have a good time 
playing it, but also I think if I if someone sat down and said, "Hey, do you want to play this or a bunch of other games?" I'd probably choose a bunch of other games. I don't know. Um, we'll see where that that goes. Okay. Uh, so my wife and I a couple weekends back we sat down and played a bunch of games together. The one thing I'll mention is we played uh, Star Wars Outer Rim. I don't. I won't talk a whole lot about this, but this is essentially a. I got it for us because my wife really likes pick up and deliver games. There was a little bit of this going on, but there's also other things like bounty hunting. You can go shoot down ships or go find people and then you got to knock them out and deliver them somewhere. So it is a pick up and deliver game, but it's got a nice pasted on Star Wars theme. I mean, I didn't feel like, whoa, I'm playing Star Wars right now. It was cool to be like, oh, I'm flying this ship and it's awesome, but that you don't really feel like you're flying that ship in any, any kind of way. Uh, I will say... I don't I don't know if this does anything new or or fresh. I haven't played them, but like if you already have Firefly, just from what I know about the Firefly game, I don't know if you would need Star Wars Outer Rim. Uh it wasn't bad, but it wasn't game of the year contender by any means. Uh let's see, Rex and I wrapped up our game of Road Roads to Gettysburg. We were playing a scenario out of there for Antietam. Great campaigns of the American Civil War is becoming one of my favorite systems quickly. There's just so many things that work in the game. The the variable player activations and the fatigue level and even when you get that activation you're you may not have that much move. You know, you may roll low on the move range of the infantry force you you activated. And so that may really hinder you and then your army just gets more and more tired and you're you're weighing all these things. I think what I've mentioned in the past is that this game operates at this zoomed out level where you're you're really kind of dealing with a almost core by core, maybe division by division approach, but it's still maneuvering and using terrain to your benefit. It still captures all the importance of maneuvering your your divisions around. Um, but, but you're zoomed out. So you're not, you're not maneuvering brigades and, and not that I don't want to do that. Um, I mean, that's, that's line of battle, right? But it, it still works and it still feels like I'm making interesting decisions, even though I'm moving, you know, thousands and thousands of men at, at, at one time. Anyways, uh, so we wrapped that game up. Um, oh, I, I just had a blast with, first off, Antidium is, um, for whatever reason, it's just, that that's a, that's a civil war battle that I want to play as much as possible. And so what happened in our game, what was interesting is basically the union got a foothold across the Creek. Um, if you're familiar with, um, battle of Antietam at all, basically it's where Burnside, um, Burnside was not responsible for the Union success in our game, but um, where Burnside tried to launch his attack from, uh, the Union established a foothold, and the Confederates held out for a long time. You would think once they were over, um, that was it, but you know the Confederates were able to actually win a couple counterattacks. Everything I see about this game, with whether it's the the variable player activations or the variable amount of movement you have, or the importance of positioning of your forces, um, not so much in odds, you know, getting the perfect odds. It's, it's almost more important to, 
to position yourself better. I'd say it is more important to position yourself better in this game. I really like this series. It's nice knowing, you know, now that I know the base rules to GCACW, I can, for the most part, go pick up any GCACW game, read the scenario-specific rules, and at least play the, you know, a base scenario without having to read the rule book. Now, the great campaign rules are are really light the base game i mean it's only i think it's like a dozen pages anyways i am loving that series i think uh i'm really excited to play a campaign game i think uh, a campaign game would uh be a top contender on the every war game ever list okay let's let's keep this thing moving along i have finally played space empires 4x which has been a game on my two playlist for a very long time we are only i don't know seven eight turns in and there hasn't been a whole lot of contact for the most part so far it's been like scout on scout combat but what i what i like about that game so far and i'm not going to go into a ton of detail or you know how the game works because like i said we're only a handful of turns in we're all doing these things and we're all investing in this technology and buying things and moving things around and i love that i have no idea what my opponents are doing um it really succeeds at you know what, maybe uh, Jeff, who's sitting to the left of me, he may be pushing through deep space to launch a major attack on me, or not. And I really have no idea. Or, you know, someone's gearing up to launch these massive ships, or, you know, someone's speeding through super fast movement to, you know, launch a surprise attack or, or something. I mean, it could be any of those things, and I have no idea what's going on. And that's cool. I can't comment too much on combat yet. Um... It's not bad, but it's pretty straightforward. You're just trying to roll under a, a two-hit number. But, you know, different technologies that you can invest in can cancel things out. I could see we're playing on Vassal, and that Vassal module has automated a lot of it. I could see where the face-to-face -face gets face-to-face -face game gets, you know, caught up in the upkeep. But I'm really liking it. I, I'm excited to play more of it. So we had a game of Genesis scheduled, and I was going to talk about Genesis in more detail this episode, but that got canceled. Um, but that's a game I'm really enjoying. And then just a couple other things I'll mention before we talk about a couple other, uh, a couple games. Uh, and then we'll wrap up the episode with the reward game ever list and some listener comments, questions. So last episode and maybe the episode before I mentioned I, I'm going down this rabbit hole of RPGs. And a weekend ago, or two weekends back, I, I played in a Tales from the Loop game. And I mention this because the most recent se um, season of Stranger Things is out. Uh, Tales from the Loop is a game from Freelogin. It's a Swedish RPG company, Free League. And Tales from the Loop is you are children in the 80s. I think you're all like 13 and under. And all this weird sci-fi stuff's going on. So there may be like robots or particle accelerators and all this strange phenomenon going on. And you're kind of like the uh, Stranger Things kids. And anyways, I got to play in a game of that at the friendly local game store here. Tabletop hosted an event. And I had a blast. I really, it was helped by the fact that the game is really easy to pick up and play. It moves along quick. You don't get bogged down in these really um, tactical engagements with with bad guys. And 
the roll resolution is you you look at two stats, you add them together, you roll that many dice, and you're looking for sixes. Sixes are success, and there may be some other things like your buddies can help you out, or you can you can push for a success. You may become injured. You might be afraid, and and all those things have negative consequences. But really, it just it sails along really quickly, and it doesn't get bogged down in details. And then. So you had a, I had a good system to work with. I was impressed with that. The story was pretty interesting. This was a, we were kids attending local county fair and some weird things were going on. And, um, I think what I'll do, what I would like to do is take that and do my own little kind of one shot, um, here in the next couple months, kind of based around the same thing, you know, going to the county fair. I think that's a cool setting, uh, to work with, with, you know, teenagers anyways. And then a great GM. I mean, he just... I think two of us were completely new to role-playing. There were five players total, a father and a son. The son was 11 or 12, so he was at the age of the characters. Anyways, this GM just did a fantastic job of telling this story, and that was that was nice from my perspective. One, I got to play in an RPG for really the first real time, and then I got to see and experience firsthand other than listening to you know, like actual plays or, or things like that. Just be there and experience in person a rock solid um game master and then i got to pick his brain a little bit afterwards anyways um so with the new season of stranger things out i thought i'd mention that tales from the loop i was really impressed with it all right and then so the last game i'll mention well no we have more games to talk about but the other thing i'll mention real quick is i finally sat down this morning and played a game from the battles of the american revolution tri-pack which so GMT has released several battles of the American Revolution game, and it repackaged three of those into a tri pack: uh, Gulford Courthouse, Saratoga, and Brandywine. And Tony and I sat down this morning, and it seems appropriate for Fourth of July. We played uh, Guilford Courthouse, which is so that is the biggest kind of southern campaign in the American Revolution War. I mean, I think uh, most of the fighting in the American Revolution War was in the north, um, but Guilford Courthouse is interesting because it was a large engagement. It was an important engagement. Um, I think it kind of sets up Cornwallis for Yorktown. Um, so Cornwallis has a super, and and you get this in Guilford Courthouse while you're playing, um, Cor- Cornwallis has a superior army, and um, the Americans have a larger force, but it's all basically militia. And that comes through, um, in Guilford courthouse. We have like two turns left before we're done. We got just about wrapped up before, uh, we had to call it for the day. Anyways. So the Americans have all these forces, but they're, they're super weak and I'm really digging, digging this system. It, it plays really quick. Um, you don't really get bogged down in things. It it's, seems to move along nicely. It's got variable player activation. So it's it's you go, I go, but you roll and the turn order may be random, which is nice because you may really want that, like, okay, if I do this, I need to be the first player next time. And then it's got this whole army morale track, which can really influence and impact the game. Combat resolution is pretty straightforward, but... I think um, my opponent said it best. That's, it's like a game that everyone has on their shelf, but I don't really see it. 
played a whole lot. I know that Judd Vance is a big fan of this series, or at least some of the games in this series. I don't know if they all work this well, but I'm really enjoying Gopher Courthouse. Um, that tri-pack seems to be a great bang for your buck. I guess Guilford Courthouse actually has, there's a second scenario in there and the name's escaping me right now. Anyways, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So I thought it just a couple things popped into my mind. I know I don't always recommend like, I didn't recommend a book for SPQR because I couldn't think of one anyways, but I did want to mention two things. Um, one, what impressed me about this tri-pack is each of the scenarios has a short essay, short background information you know four pages or so on the engagement and that was really nice to be able to read through i wish more games did that sometimes the only background information you get on a game is you know a paragraph but some stuff i just don't have any background knowledge about what i'm playing uh, and so this went into a lot of detail and it went into a lot of detail about this engagement it painted a little bit of the before and after of the American Revolution, but really it just focused on Guilford Courthouse, which was, it was nice. Um, another thing I'll mention is I have, I am reading that Washington's Crossing book and I've read 1776, but that's kind of it for me in the American Revolution. I saw Patriot, but that's it. Judd Vance, if you go back to the old hand tag videos, they did an American Revolution one and he recommended some American Rev books. And one of those books is The Road to Guilford Courthouse, the American Revolution in the Carolinas by John Buchanan. That book came to mind as I was prepping for this episode because it's been on my to-read list for a, a long time. So if you're looking for something to read, that is something I'd like to get to eventually, uh, and maybe more so now that i played this battle. Um, so I, I hope this game does not just collect shelf, or collect shelf. I hope this game does not just sit on the shelf and collect dust because... It's pretty straightforward. It was a lot of fun, and it really... We almost played through a whole... The whole campaign game at Guilford Courthouse in two and a half hours. I think we started at 9, wrapped up at 11.30. We have two or three turns left. And it's, that's pretty impressive to me. Because it feels like a full game. It doesn't feel like a small... Small footprint, low rules, war game. It feels like a full experience. I want to say the rules were about 14 pages something like that, and they're all pretty straightforward. I think uh, I think this would be a nice intro war game. So I did want to talk a little bit about full advanced squad leaders. So I played through a learning game of full ASL. Not only that, we sat down and played with a little bit of the PTO rules, which was pretty interesting. So we played a scenario from Schwerpunk, and I don't know what product this is from, but this is Schwerpunk Scenario 65, it's called Ayo Gurkali. And so this scenario is a Japanese versus Gorka forces, which are, this is British troops. It's like India, Nepalese forces, and it's Burma, May 43. And in this, this particular scenario, the, the Brits are basically advancing uphill and the Japanese forces are basically trying to hold the hill as long as they can. So a couple interesting things that I learned in full ASL. One, snipers came into play for the first time. That was pretty cool. Basically, everyone, each side has a sniper number. And if someone rolls that, it, it may or may not activate their, their sniper. And, you know, that may have some consequences. Some other things were in play. We just didn't get to see them. Like heat of battle, you know, that's that's a rule in full ASL. 
still don't know how it works because neither of us had a role. Um, what what I did get to see and experience was the British forces, the, the troops I was using were high enough that they did not cower. So in ASL, you roll, when you are firing your infantry, you roll. If you roll doubles, if you're not stacked with a leader, then you shift down a column. So if you are rolling on the eight column, you roll doubles, you shift down to the six. Okay, uh, that does not happen to the British forces. So the British forces can really spread out. And that's what I learned as I played. This was a learning scenario or a learning game. I really quickly realized, one, I need to move a lot faster as the attacker if I even want to win this scenario. And two, I really need to spread out to kind of split up the Japanese firepower. If I'm focused in one spot, it makes it easier for the Japanese to defend. Anyway, so as the Brits, you really want to spread out because you don't have to have a leader to avoid that cowering penalty. The other thing was we played with... So some things I won't talk about. We played with trenches and, and mortars and... Uh, weather was in effect, but that really didn't impact our game. And there was jungles and all those things. But I do want to mention that the Japanese were interesting because the Japanese... So normally, in ASL, there's this concept called breaking. So if you fail, if you take enemy fire and you fail a morale check, you break. You flip to the other side and you really can't do anything. You're kind of just there until you rally and, you know, you're back, you're fighting fit again. The Japanese don't break they go striped and striping is permanent. So if an American force, if he, if he breaks, you can rally him and he's right back. Good to go. The Japanese forces don't rally the first time they flip over. So they go from full strength to some kind of lesser strength unit. Uh, it's called striping. And so that was pretty interesting. Cause so you have these Japanese forces that don't break. Uh, and that was cool. What else did trying to think if there's anything else worth mentioning we didn't really have any vehicles we just had mortars and machine guns oh uh my opponent did a bonsai charge against me it was very ill-advised and it was obviously just to show me how bonsai charges work but basically you get to move a wave of enemies towards a certain point um that was neat to see. I think the more and more I learn and see about full ASL, I cannot wait to start playing it. Um, I'm really enjoying ASL. I think that's all I'll say about ASL, and I will wrap up with... Uh, so our game day, Kansas City game day, we played one game, and we played Angola from Multiman Publishing. So this here's another game that I've been wanting to play for some time, in large part because it's a true 2v2 war game. So, you know, like coin, you're kind of partially on the same side, but you really only have one winner. And the only other 2v2 game that I've played is the, um, oh, what are those games called? The the games from, uh, is it Academy Games? Like the 1754, and I think there's a 1776 game. Those are 2v2. Anyways, so Angola is a 2v2. You have a communist-backed, Communist bloc-backed forces, two players, and then a U.S.-backed uh, group of forces. And it's the Angolan Civil War, which started in the 70s. This particular game takes place over a shorter period of time, just 75 to 76. Phil Kindle developed it, or designed it, and then Adam Starkweather developed it. And so the game 
is pretty good. It does some really interesting things. So let's talk a little bit about how the game works. The The game starts off with you determine first player and everyone has a set of cards available to them and it will tell you who which columns and forces you can move. And so each side will have a certain amount of column markers available to them. Column A through E, for example. And so you may assign those column forces when you set up. All right, all right this stack of guys is going to be column A. Well, as you start the game, you build a pack of cards. You put them in the order that you want to carry the cards out. And you go around the table and you flip over. So... Um, you know, Joe flips over his card first, and it says activate column B. Okay, so he activates column B, and he moves them based off how far everyone can move, and that's the only way you can attack. You are able to move guys not under a column marker, but they're not able to move into, the, into a space with an enemy unit. And so what that means is I'm only playing a certain amount of cards, so you may start out with you're only playing four cards. And some, some factions may have blank cards that they have to play every single round, so it eats up what they can do. But the players are then forced with, okay, I want to move this column, this column, and this column, but I need to move these guys up, and I need to do this. And you only have the column markers available to you. You don't have, you know, three column D markers. You have a column D marker. And maybe you only have one column D card. So you can only move column D once during that turn, but maybe you want to do all these things with them. So it forces the players to you know, manage the resources of the column markers and the column cards because that's what they're really limited by. And that's, that's one of the more interesting things about this game. Um, so you go around the table and everyone flips over a card. All right, Joe's activating column B. Greg flips over one of his blank cards. And once you've set your deck, you can't go through and change it. So you are kind of guessing, you know, how is this turn going to play out and what are the things I want to do? And you put that in place and then you just carry out your deck and you, you move your forces around. And when you move into a space with an enemy unit, you conduct combat. And then kind of another interesting thing is how you, at the end of the turn, you determine if a side has won the turn. And you can win the turn by capturing your opponent's victory point markers by basically capturing towns from them and it's not enough to just roll up on a town that was left undefended you have to kill enemy units you have to win the battle and capture a town from them and then they they kind of owe you a victory point marker and so you determine the side that won the turn and that basically moves their victory threshold down and so your victory threshold starts at 20 and let's say i win uh the turn and I won enough where it bumps it down three. So now my victory threshold is 17. And at the end of each turn, you look at, all right, how many victory point markers do I have? And how many does my ally have? And how many did we capture as a whole? And so we each have five, so we have 10. And let's say we captured seven. Well, then that's enough to win the game. Or maybe you need one more. Chances are you're not going to win a game when your victory threshold is all the way up at 17. But... The kind of the kind of interesting thing about that is as let's say I'm taking from Rex's faction and Greg's not really being attacked. Well, Rex is over there losing victory point markers. That means that he gets a whole bunch of foreign aid. And that may mean that he gets his really good foreign aid. So there's each side has four kind of special units. It's either 
Um, Zaire and South Africans were Cubans helping out at each side. So if you lose the turn and you lose pretty bad, you kind of get some help. And then um, everyone gets reinforcements and um, you may be kind of limited. Either your reinforcements kind of go in your kind of home starting territory or they go into towns that you control. So you are kind of, and there is an incentive to go around capturing towns and, and all that, not just hunting down the enemy army. Um, and then um, one thing you do is you all secretly bid on covert foreign aid. So this is like the, these are, you know, all right, the U.S. are sending me five anti-tank missiles. Um, anyways, you you bid a certain amount of covert foreign aid cards you'll draw on. It may be like armored cars, artillery, planes, anti-tanks, uh, anti-air missiles, minefields. And it could just be a foreign delegate that gets you nothing. So you all bid. And if one faction bids more than the opposing team's faction, so if Greg says, I want five covert foreign aid, and Joe and I say, I want three and two, well, we just did three and two, Greg did five, we win the turn. Um, it's like a political win. So that act, or we don't win the turn, I'm sorry, we win the like a political propaganda victory, which moves our victory threshold down one. So you're kind of weighing this like, Oh, I want five cards, but if they don't also ask for five cards, that makes it easier for them to win. And so all all of those things I just mentioned are really interesting and unique about this game. Where the game comes up a little short is combat resolution. And it's not bad. It's just you you calculate your odds and then you can get, you can commit air. So basically here's how it works. You, you engage in combat. Each side can commit air. You may have air to air combat and they may score hits, which may knock guys out or kill them. You may fire anti-air if you have it. If the opposing players have tanks and you have anti-tank rounds, you can fire those. Maybe you set up a minefield. All of that, you're just kind of rolling on a basic hit table to see if you incapacitate or kill air units or tank units. Okay. Then you have your main combat. And the main combat is you start, you calculate your odds. Let's say it's three to one. Um, and then there may be die roll modifiers. So maybe you have mercenaries that add plus one to your die roll. Uh, what's interesting is your die roll modifier only, it caps at plus five. Okay. Um, and you're rolling a six-sided dice. And then the number of dice you rolled are determined on basically your terrain. And each side may get extra dice depending on, you know, all right, they're defending in a city, in a jungle, that means they're rolling three dice and the attacker's rolling one. And each side then takes their highest die. Okay, let's say the attacker rolled four and the defender rolled three. Let's say the attacker had a th plus three die roll modifier. Okay, so he rolled a seven against the defender's three. That's a, a four difference. Okay, that four difference tells you how many spaces, let's say up two on the odds or up one. So we were at three to one. A difference of four in the dice tells us to go up one. So now we're at four to one or five to one. I don't remember what I just said. And that's your result. There's no there's no table. It's just you shift up from four to one odds to five to one odds. And that tells you how many losses the defender takes. And obviously if you go negative, if you're if you're at one to three odds, then the attacker is going to take some losses. But so the defender may lose half or two-thirds of their forces, and the attacker loses nothing other than maybe like anti-tank rounds they fired. Those are gone. 
Uh, so that can be interesting, and it makes it like once they win that battle, usually the losses are pretty heavy, at least a third or more. I mean, sometimes you may just get a retreat, but the attacker really doesn't lose anything. You know, only one side is losing forces, and there's no stacking limit in this game. What happened in our game is one player had like a massive death stack that just rolled over. And it was a little bit burdensome to kind of calculate everything. Um, so we played eight and a half turns, and that took us six and a half hours, I think. Um, and we kind of called it there. One player had to go. I don't think it was really over. We said, all right, whoever's winning at this point, they'll win. I don't know if that's how the game would have ended up. So that's that's a little... I don't know. The other things are so unique and so you know, fresh and enjoyable. It's like you get to combat and it's just not as exciting. Like the, the, the payoff at the end is you go through all this stuff and it's all right, we're at two to one and we end up one to one and you know, nothing really happens. Um, or, you know, all right, you lose all your forces and I don't really lose anything and I roll in, but it makes up for it. So kind of what happens is as the loser loses, they get more help. Not to where it, not to where it's swingy. Um, it seemed to be pretty well balanced, I thought. So the combat itself's a little lackluster, but everything else about the game is really interesting. I would like to play it again just to see how the other sides handle. So my guys are just kind of tasked with right, attack like crazy. So I played Unida, and they're kind of based in South Angola. And they come up from South Africa. And really... I'm just kind of tasked with helping alleviate pressure on my partner who comes from the north. And I get, you know, reinforcements pretty easily. And there's not a whole lot of strong points in this in the south. So I just kind of roll up from the south. Um, it'd be interesting to play either the communist side or the northern side. Just cause, this because they kind of have different things they should be focusing on. Not every side. It's not super asymmetrical. But I think each side and each faction just has different things they should be focusing on to, to do well. But I don't think there's a ton of difference. Uh, so overall, it's pretty good combat. I don't. I think maybe one of the problems is the fact that it doesn't have a stacking limit. Um, because although the management of column markers and your cards is interesting... At one point, I just had all my forces under all four columns. And once we're playing six cards, you know, I the Unida has two blanks, and they have to play both those blanks every turn. So I was a little bit limited in what I could do. You know, I couldn't activate one column twice and still activate everything. But it was pretty easy to consolidate. At least I felt like it was. Just kind of things were open in the south for me. Um, so it would be interesting, and, and this would change the game way too much. But if you were like, okay... You're capped at eight strength points of infantry or something like that. I think that would make you make the game a little bit tougher in the resource management. So although it does have this resource management thing, it's it's kind of easy to work around. At least I felt like it was. Maybe it wasn't as easy for my ally in the north. He seemed to have more distinct stacks where I really just kind of had three or four. I had some kind of stragglers I left in defensive positions or that were just kind of hanging out. Um, anyways, that's, that's in goal. I, I really liked it. I don't think it's, uh, I'm glad I, I played it. It's not something I'm going to seek out to play, you know, every, every month. Um, 
But like I said, we played for about six and a half hours, and I think they gave me a pretty good feel. I feel like I, I got to see a lot in six and a half hours. I don't know how much more play would uh, would help this or hurt this. So taking all that into consideration, it has all these you know neat elements kind of at play, but combat is kind of lackluster. And so that that kind of ends up if we're looking at the every war game ever list, it's it's not top of the top of the charts by any means. It's kind of in the um, it's not quite as good as Normandy forty four or. Um, I would much rather play Normandy 44, I think. Even though Angola has those fresh elements, Normandy 44 is the better game. It's kind of like Hold Fast Korea, where Hold, Hold Fast Korea had some interesting stuff going on. Um, I think it's better, yeah. Um, Gameplay-wise... You know, whole fast Korea combat, although it's it doesn't get bogged down like Angola. So Angola really does kind of get bogged down because you just have these massive stacks and you got to resolve this massive combat. It doesn't take a ton of time, but it, anyways, I'm kind of rambling now. Um, and I don't need to go back back and forth up and down the list all the way. Um, but I would put it below Normandy 44. Normandy 44 is the better game, better rules. Above Hold Fast Korea. Hold Fast Korea is more streamlined probably plays plays a lot faster i mean you could play hold fast korea several times but i think angola is the more interesting game with more interesting decisions especially because hold fast korea you really get bogged down on that 30th parallel and there's no room to maneuver and here's the other thing um angola the setup is different every time everyone kind of has their own starting territory but everything else is just kind of randomized and so you know, where it worked out for me, I was strong in the south, and I could just kind of roll upwards. It may be a different story if, you know, four of the five cities I draw, or four of the four cities I draw at the start of the turn are all up north. I mean, I think that would really change the game. And so I think the initial draw of cities really impacts Angola. I forgot to mention that. Um, so everyone kind of, each game you have a different setup and start location, kind of in addition to your home turf. That means that would come in at number six. So, you know, Civil War, Beyond the Rhine, Next War in the Pakistan, Battle Hymn, Normandy 44, followed by Angola from Multiman Publishing. I don't even know if I mentioned that. Multiman Publishing makes it. Okay, uh, so I've got a few, not like crazy, I'm not trying to humble brag here or anything like that. I've got a few, like, listener emails saying whatever, asking whatever questions, and I, I never think to read them on the air. And then someone asked a question, I was like, I should be talking about this on the air. Why don't I Why don't I do this instead of emailing it back? So I just have a few listener comments or emails um, that I thought I'd mention this week on the air. So Dan wrote in, and he, he said he's, he's found the podcast and he's listening through, and he himself is pretty new to war games. And he doesn't get a chance to play too many of them, Especially because he hasn't taken the steps to dive into Vassal. Just because he likes the tactile feel of, I guess, playing face-to-face. And he's worried about that being lost in Vassal. And then he also said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Flying Pig's Armageddon War. As that's one I've played and really enjoyed. Also, Conflict of Heroes Guadalcanal was the first war game I ever owned. And I highly recommend giving it a shot. Thanks for the podcast and keep them coming. That's Dan. Well, Dan, uh, a few things. I, th- I thought about your comments. There wasn't really a question here, but I was skeptical of Vassal at first. I didn't 
think I would enjoy it. Here's what I would tell you. One, do whatever you want to do. If you don't want to play Vassal because you feel like you'll lose the tax rate, I'll feel of playing face-to-face, then don't do it. But Vassal still requires, one, you have to know the game still. It doesn't, very rarely does a Vassal module automate a whole whole lot of stuff. You know, I mentioned Space Empires 4X kind of automates some things, but really that's automating the bookkeeping side of the Space Empire. So like your production sheets and, you know, how much minerals your colonies are producing. Basically, it does the math for you. Everything else you still need to do on your own. And so you're still picking up and moving counters. It's not, um, it's not, it doesn't feel like a video game. And I've really learned that it's super convenient, especially when we, when I went to the convention and we set up Beyond the Rhine. It's like, well, I really miss being able to just open a Vassal module and having, you know, 100 counters already set up. What I would recommend to you is, you know, f- find a game that you know fairly well and, and play with with someone who knows Vassal to walk you through it. I really feel like I had similar concerns to you. And now I playing on Vassal, I don't even think twice about. I really like it. And I think it still feels like you're playing a war game that you're looking down on a table. And it just, I think it makes things a little bit more convenient. So check it out. Uh, give it a go. I, I think you'll be surprised. So Flying Pigs Armageddon War. I would love to hear my thoughts on that too. I would like to play that. I've heard nothing but good things about it. I know the Players Aid guys liked it and um, Rob from Rob's Tabletop World. I know he really liked it. Um, And it seems like a great game. It's just I still have Old School Tactical to play that I haven't played yet. There's just other tactical games that are kind of taking higher priority. I'm just, I'm not sold on it enough to, to drop 80 bucks on it. Um, so if I ever see it cheap or if, if there's ever an opportunity for me to play it, I would love to play it because I've heard nothing but good things. And, you know, maybe once I get this backlog cleared out a little bit of games I haven't played, I'd, I'd give it a go. Um, so someday conflict of heroes. So I had conflict of heroes Guadalcanal, but it's just one that, you know, as I started to look at all these tactical games I have and want to play, it's, it's one that I just looked at it and eh, I don't want to learn the rules of this. I'm not saying it's a bad game. It may be a great game. It's just one that I didn't want to go through the hassle of learning the rules. I'd rather use that time to learn other rules. And so I ended up unloading my copy and like a pay it forward or something like that. I've heard great things of conflict of here about conflict of heroes. It's just uh, one of those things. There's so many things demanding your attention these days, you know, video games, TV, board games, all those things. It was just one that I I think I'd use my time doing something else. Again, I don't know if it's a bad game. I've heard it's a great game. Just uh, just decided it wasn't for me. All right, and then so Ross Ross wrote in, and we were we were talking about other things, but uh, he mentioned the podcast, and he said I need to get some new top shooters for the reward game ever list. And he writes in and says that I should give Liberty Roads a spin, and. He says, based on how I've heard you talk about other games, I think it will be a solid contender that's totally objective and has nothing to do with it being my favorite game. I've heard Liberty Roads is fantastic. And I can't say that I'll rush out and get every war game that is recommended to me for the list, but I think I'll like it too. And so I went ahead and uh, I, I got a copy of that from GMT. I think it's out of print on Hexasim games. So Liberty Roads is from the 
the French company that makes the the Rising Eagles games I talked about a few episodes back. Um, they made Victory Roads, which is East Front, and then Liberty Roads, which is West Front, World War II. That's Hexasim. They're a French company. They're great components, great maps. I really think so. And both Victory Roads and Liberty Roads look really interesting, and I've heard great things about Liberty Roads, so it's about time I get a try. So I will. I will give Liberty Roads a spin, and we will find a spot for it on this list. Okay, that will wrap up our episode. I will be back soon to talk about line of battle. I will be putting in some new floors this week. And then really other than that, I'm going to be focusing on line of battle and that's kind of it. So if you have any questions, comments, or you have a game for the every war game ever list that you want me to rank or take a look at, feel free to shoot me an email. It's history table podcast at gmail.com history table podcast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, History Table Podcast, or something like that. Or on Twitter is probably the best spot. History Table Pod. That's at History Table Pod. All right. I hope everyone had a good fourth, and we will talk to you soon. Bye bye.